You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Today we begin a new series in the book of Philippians, and we've titled this series Enduring Joy. And I wanted to take some time this morning to just really talk about this truth and this reality because it it pervades, it permeates, it's all over this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. We're gonna do more of a a general overview next week, but really we wanted to start this series with talking about this theme that runs all throughout this letter. Let me just give you some examples. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice, which is a verb, which is the state of joy with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he goes on. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, which by the way is a command. This is an imperative here. I will say it again, rejoice. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So let's go there for the remainder of our time here this morning before we um, have some music worship at the very end and talk about joy. I'm curious, how many of you have ever heard a sermon just about joy? Would you raise your hands for me? How many of you have ever had a sermon? Keep your hands up if you would, please. We'll, we'll give another synonym to this. How many of you have heard a sermon on happiness before? Would you look around the room? That was about the same with the last service as well. We need to go here because this letter goes here and for a number of other reasons as well. And as we do so, this is where we're gonna go this morning. We wanna wrestle with what is joy? How do you get it? How do you experience it? How do you keep it? This letter to the Philippians really answers a lot, if not all, of these questions. So let's start with a definition. What is it? A feeling of great pleasure and happiness is what Webster says. So if that's true, then that provokes a series of questions such as, are happiness and joy the same thing? Well, biblically, yes, they are. They're used synonymously in God's word. In fact, in the original languages, it's basically the same word for both, which is really, really interesting because it seems like in Christian culture, we can sometimes differentiate between the two. And I don't know if you've been exposed to this or have heard this before, but sometimes joy and happiness get construed as two different things. Happiness is that thing that's situational that you know everybody in some way, shape, or form gets to experience, but the really spiritual people get to experience joy. That's for Jesus followers. And actually, there is no differentiation between the two. There's, they're, they're the same entity in scripture. Now in fairness, I think part of the reaction to that has been, all of us have probably heard at some point, someone justify profoundly broken, selfish, sinful behavior in the name of happiness, right? God wants me happy. God wants me happy, so it's okay for me to abandon my family in order to pursue that. Or God wants me happy, so it's okay for me to do this. We've, we've heard happiness justified as a means for all sorts of broken, sinful behavior, but, but that doesn't mean that happiness and joy aren't the same 
in terms of how they're described in scripture because they are. Which then begs the question, okay, so is joy or happiness, are they situational or are they not? And the answer is yes and no. Is happiness, joy, situational? Well, sure it is. Does this make you happy? This made the couple happy who texted this to me last week. And I think they were kind of teasing me a little bit that they had ice cream and I didn't. But do you, can you read what's on the ice cream cone? Joy. Nothing suggestive about that, right? Of course, happiness and joy is situational. Of course, there are things that, that make us happy and joyful. And that's, that's great. Enjoy your ice cream, as long as it's good ice cream. But there is a joy that's being described here in Philippians and throughout God's word that transcends circumstance and situation. Yes, enjoy your ice cream, but it is possible to have happiness, to experience joy in even the most difficult of circumstances because there are layers to joy, are there not? So let's talk about what it isn't. Is joy realistic? I mean, can you truly experience joy in all kinds of situations and circumstances, even difficult ones, even hard ones? I mean, isn't that in some ways like creating a false reality? I mean, like looking at a hard circumstance and saying, oh, you know, it could be worse, this could have happened, or, you know, this is what could be taking place, I, I really shouldn't be feeling this, this way. Well, no, this isn't about creating an alternative reality. It's not talking about you know, looking at the bright side or denying or ignoring what's painful or difficult, Scripture never ever tells us that we are to pretend with how we feel. Scripture never tells us to be inauthentic. Scripture never tells us to not experience sorrow and difficulty and pain. This isn't what this is about. This isn't about creating a false reality. Because as we begin to talk about this, my concern for some of you, and this comes from what you have expressed to me as a pastor, is that for some of you, could it be that in your heart of hearts, you've kind of given up on experiencing joy in your life? I mean, I've, I've had people tell me, well, you know, there are some personalities that are more emotional that can really experience happiness and joy, and I'm just not one of those personalities. Folks, Philippians 4.4 does not say, rejoice those of you who are more emotional in temperament. <laughs> That's not what it says. It says rejoice, and as if the Philippians missed it, he says, again, I say rejoice, which means this transcends personality, this transcends your bent as a person. Joy really is yours to have. And for some of us, even that is a sell, a necessary selling point. Because I've talked to believers who somehow feel guilty when they feel happy, when they experience joy. Is it okay to be happy as a Christian, as a Jesus follower? Is it okay to eat your ice cream and like it? Is it okay to take a vacation and enjoy it? Is it okay to experience joy and happiness in your life? Do we appreciate the reality that God commands this for us? God doesn't just say, yeah, it's okay. It's okay if you're happy. He says it's right. It's righteous for you to be joyful and happy. In a very real sense, God does want us happy. He absolutely does. 
but on his terms. Not necessarily ours, but still, so often his terms and our terms align, and we should not feel guilty about feeling happy and feeling joyful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is the verse that my family and I adopted, Jamie and I adopted this shortly after we got married. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for your life is? To be joyful. Always. That's pretty cool. How often do we talk about a God, do we declare a gospel that is a gospel of joy and a gospel of of happiness? Because that is our calling card. Because that is the heart of our God. In the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, where it begins to list, this is how you know that you're in right relationship with God. This is what it means to become more like God. And then it starts to go down this list, right? Love, what's the second word? Joy. Romans 12 says, this is kingdom living. The kingdom is a matter of joy. Have I convinced you yet? God wants you to experience and have joy. It's not just okay, it's what he wants for you. There are over 2,700 verses in scripture that talk about joy, happiness, gladness, jubilation, celebration. It's everywhere, and it's everywhere throughout this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. And what I'm beginning to grow and appreciate about this letter, and I hope you will too, is this really gives us a look into the heart of the Apostle Paul. We begin to really see what makes him tick. This is a very personal letter. It's in many ways an intimate letter and reveals what's going on in the heart of this, this man who loves Jesus. And at the core of that is this joy. And as you begin to read this letter, I hope you'll appreciate the significance of what enduring joy is all about. Because we have to appreciate where Paul was and what was going on in his life as he wrote this letter. If we go back to the book of Acts in the New Testament, in Acts 21, it tells us that when Paul went to Jerusalem, he was arrested, unjustly accused, thrown in jail where he languished. And he went before various rulers of the time, stating his innocence, defending himself, and they still kept him in jail. And finally, he appeals to Caesar. And at that point, it forces their hand, and they have to send him to Rome so that he can appeal to Caesar. And so he goes to Rome. And at the end of Acts, in Acts 28, it talks about that for two years, he was under house arrest awaiting trial and understand he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. More than likely, he's going to lose his life. So this man who wanted to be and should have been in many ways out planting churches and declaring the gospel is now imprisoned for a number of years, probably chained to a guard, night and day, no privacy, not doing what he believes that God has called him to do. How demoralizing, how discouraging, how frustrating, how depressing. And he writes a letter on joy. When all that was going on, he wrote this letter that we're going to be studying together for the next several weeks. And look what he says. It's just, it's remarkable. We'll just take this one passage for the sake of time here this morning. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a profoundly significant statement. And we could spend weeks on that last verse there. For me, to live is Christ. What does that mean? Well, for the practical purposes of joy, it means joy is found in how you define your life. Now listen very carefully, because this is absolutely counterculture to everything you will hear once you step out the doors of this place or once you step out of the word of of God. Because our culture tells us that the way to find happiness, the path to joy, is your circumstances. It's in what you have. It's in what you do. It's in what other people say about you. It's in having conflict-free relationships. It's in having a marriage where all your needs are always met. It's where you have all the money you could ever want in in your bank account or checking account. It comes from all the health that you could ever want to experience. Do you see where this is going? If those things begin to define our life, If those things began to become the foundation for our joy, you will never have enduring joy in your life because we live in a broken world. You will have conflict in your relationships. You will never be able to acquire enough staff. You will never be able to be comfortable enough. You will never be able to take enough vacations and on and on it goes to give yourself enduring joy. Can you get joy from those things? Yeah, lasting joy? No. Those things are not the foundation of of our lives. So how are you defining your life? Because when you begin to answer that question, you will begin to put your finger on the pulse of the joy in your life. Where it's coming from, and how you sustain it. This is not easy, but it is foundational. Because you see, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You don't add Jesus to your life. He is your life. And the difference is the difference between having everlasting joy and joy that transcends circumstances and a joy that is fleeting and that you only get to have occasionally. But I don't want you to take just my word for it. I'd like you to hear from someone who, um, I recently heard her story, was talking with Pastor Bob about that earlier this week, and he said, oh yeah, you've gotta hear Jenny's story. And I heard some of Jenny's story, and I thought, okay, you've gotta hear Jenny's story. So Jenny, where are you? Jenny, will you come up here? This is Jenny Kanjar, hiding. (laughs) There's no hiding up here, believe me. So Jenny, you served at VBS this last week. You were one of our photographers. We got to see some of your handiwork in the slideshows, right? It was awesome. It I was so awesome. Fun. It was fun. You had a smile on your face the whole week behind oh, that man, camera. That, I was... got to nerd out big time. It was so much fun. And thanks to all of you who brought your kids because they were a blast. It was so much fun. It was. It was good. So you have been on a joy journey mm-hmm. of your own. Yes. Would you share that with us and, and what it has meant for you to define your life through Jesus and how that has impacted your joy and just what that's looked like? 
Well, actually, in all honesty, uh, I did it the wrong way first, which is how I learn, apparently. Um, things just got really hard in order for me to see um, the difference between getting joy from things that don't work and then getting joy from Christ. And um, I grew up in the church, and so I knew a whole bunch about, you know, the Christianese words. And one of the things, though, that really continued to stump me in the how was sanctification, which basically is becoming more like Jesus. And I thought, well, yeah, I want that. Becoming more like Jesus, he lived the perfect life on earth. I want that too. So it seemed really flowery and, yeah, I'll take that. But um, it didn't, it wasn't until we came to Gresham five years ago. We moved here from Montana. And um, when we first moved here, came from a, a community where, you know, great support. My family was in Montana. Um, our church was just thick. We loved um, how many people we got to hang out with there. And, um, and then we came here, a new job, new community, uh, no church at the time, new church, um, and was really struggling to find deep friendship. And so that was a really lonely, lonely time. And so for the past four years, um, that's kind of where I landed. I was like, this is hard. This is way harder than what I've experienced. So then um, I had a one-year-old when we moved here, and then I shortly after had um, our second, Eliza. And I thought that that was hard. <laughs> new community, new family, new baby. Um, and then my dad passed away suddenly, and that rocked my world. And I had no, um, you know, my horizon just was completely thrown off, and I thought that was hard. And then for the next four years, life literally just continued to be hard. One hard thing after the other, sickness and um, just relational struggles, and it all capped off when a year ago, my husband and I faced some, some really hard struggles in our relationship and our marriage that I, I did not know if we were gonna recover from. And I realized that I had been asking the Lord the same question, like, when is this going to get easier? When is life going to stop being this hard? And I kept telling the Lord, I feel like I'm breathing through a straw to reach the surface of the water. Where is the oxygen? Where is the life that you promised in the Bible? And during that time that Zach and I were struggling, God pointed to some things. He, he showed me how much I was blaming on my husband, um, the things that I thought that were his problem, the things that um, I tried to blame elsewhere. The Lord said, here are the things that you need to take responsibility for. And he put his finger on some really specific things. And as I started to own up to those things, I realized how spiritually sick I was. And those things stood between not only me and the Lord and our relationship, but me and other people. I didn't have healthy friendships. They were poisoning every part of my life. And so the Lord specifically put his finger on some anger during that time. And, um, and I call it spiritual food poisoning that I allowed the Lord to dig down deep into my emotions and get rid of that specific issue, throw it up onto the cross and say, I'm done. I don't want that anymore. I don't want to partner with that anymore. And it's yours. And that's what you died for. I'm sorry you had to die for that. And then to allow his newness and freedom to come into me, his healing to come into me. And instead of having to carry that sickness in my spirit, I have the freedom to live in parts of my life like VBS. Didn't think I was going to do that last year. Like, I'm too busy. There's too much happening. Things are still really hard in my life. But there's this freedom that has come from stepping into healing with the Lord. The gap that, has, that sin had created between me and the Lord with all this junk has started to close as I release these things to him. And honestly, the joy that Jay is talking about, 
didn't feel real to me. I didn't have personal experience with that until I started to release these things to the Lord. It's like a constant party, you guys. Like the, the <laughs> seriously, like to see the things that the Lord is doing personally and to take responsibility for things that he says, I want that. That's not what I have for you. That's not the freedom that I talk about. It is constantly like a party. Like, look what the Lord's doing now. I could even tell you a new fresh story from today. Like this, this is real life. And it doesn't come from my circumstances. I had so much stock in my marriage of if that's going well, I'm going to be okay. If my kids are doing well, if they behave properly, which they don't, that's, that's going to make me be happy. And none of those things have any kind of consistency. Like life's going to happen. And I just feel like I can live in a party with the Lord knowing that he is my rock and my salvation and my foundation. And that's the only thing that I can count on in this life. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for preaching my sermon, Jenny. We're done. Let's, let's just, let's end right there. Maybe a little more. But you get the heart of that, of what happens when you begin on a daily basis to not just add Jesus to your life, but to make him your life. Because that leads to a joy that transcends seasons and circumstances. You can find joy in every season and circumstance of your life. In fact, really, the type of enduring joy that we're talking about, not a joy, we're not talking about, again, a false reality that says, oh, this isn't that bad or this isn't that hard. No, this is in the presence of hard, painful, bad things. That kind of joy cannot be taken from you unless you let it. Circumstances, people cannot steal your enduring joy in Jesus unless you allow them to. That's profoundly hopeful. And when those difficult seasons, those painful, hard things come from living in a broken world, Paul says something here that is so incredibly profound. It really unlocks what this looks like and how this really does play itself out. He says this, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In some translations it says, what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation because the word means either one. That is incredibly profound and significant and practical. Because what Paul is saying here is, my circumstances, which are so incredibly hard, being imprisoned, all the things we've talked about, I'm not being saved despite these things. He's saying, I'm being saved because of these things. How does that work? Well, isn't what he's saying with that? This is exposing the foundation. This is exposing, really, the core of my life. Or to put that another way, this is making sure I don't define my life by my circumstances, what I have or don't have, or what's going on in my life. This is making sure that Christ is my life. And therefore, I can have joy in the midst of incredibly hard things going on in my life. And if that wasn't enough, God gives him the blessing of seeing his work. 
the work that God is doing despite these incredibly difficult circumstances. Look what he says in the first chapter. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Why were these incredibly hard things happening to Paul and what was one of the sources of his joy? Seeing the work of God. Can you imagine what it was like to be chained to that guy? day and night, do you know how many times they heard about Jesus? Jesus, 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 Jesus. I don't know, did Paul save the entire Roman guard in the city of Rome? Probably not, but a whole bunch of them heard about Jesus. And Paul saw that and drew joy and encouragement from that. You see, one of the most important things that we can do as a church is to help one another see God's work in our lives, especially when it's hard, especially when life is painful, especially when life hurts. One of the most important things we can do is to help someone else see how God is at work because that's a real tangible source of hope and a tangible source of joy. But the reality is, Enduring joy won't be continual, but it will be eternal. And again, that goes back to this reality that we live in a broken world. We do. Thankfully, our God is at work redeeming and repairing and restoring this world, and he invites us into that, and we partner with him in doing that. But the reality is, at the end of the day, you're gonna go through difficult things in your life and, and so am I. And the reality is you're not gonna be happy all the time, at least situationally happy. And we need to do business with that and make friends with that unpleasant reality. Because once again, it will drive us back to the true reality and the true source of joy and the source of enduring joy and that's Jesus. Because as difficult and as hard and as profoundly painful as this world can be, it is going to get better. That is a hope that has sustained God's people for thousands of years and it is the same hope that you and I have today. God promises us eternal joy someday and yes, he promises us joy in this life as well but there are gonna be times when it's gonna be difficult. Do you realize that the majority of the Psalms by way of example, are lament. They are not praise psalms. The majority of the psalms are lament psalms, psalms of hurt, heartache, sorrow, pain. But there is a joy that a number of you have experienced this week that that is a powerful joy, and it's an enduring joy. And it's the joy of serving others. And it's counterintuitive. We think, well, the source of happiness or joy in my life is to make life all about me. And that's what the world tells us. But there is a type of joy and happiness and enduring joy and happiness that comes when you serve and give to others. And I'll prove it to you. How come so many of you who have served in VBS will not stop smiling despite the fact that you are exhausted, you're tired and with good reason? Our church is kind of glowing today, right? With this joy and happiness. Because you've served others. 
And there is joy and blessing and happiness in that. And I'm reminded of something I saw that just profoundly impacted me that I think ties so much of what we're talking about here together. And it's another VBS story. I know of this family in our church who he has lost his job recently. And it's a tough season for their family. In fact, they're having to sell their house in order to make ends meet. Things are not good. Things are very difficult. And this family could be withdrawing and angry and bitter about what's going on in their life. And instead, as an entire family, they looked at their circumstances and said, okay, we are more available to serve than we ever have. The entire family served this last week at VBS. And the picture that will be etched in my mind for a long time is seeing the mother and the very young daughter worshiping together, singing these silly VBS songs and dancing around with unbridled joy and happiness in the midst of a very hard season in their life. Enduring joy, which comes from making Jesus your life. And it's yours to have. And it starts with knowing him and receiving him into your heart. If you have not made the decision, the choice to follow Jesus, to receive Jesus into your life, you are missing out on a joy that you will find in nothing else and nowhere else. Don't miss out on that joy. Let's sing and praise this amazing God together as our worship team comes. And would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the source of enduring joy. And I know that in a room this size with this many of us, there may be some this morning who are struggling with that. Maybe they have secretly given up on that because of what has happened or what is going on now. Lord, I pray that you will once again give hope Lord, for those of us who know you, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Would we remember what our life was like before you and what you give us and promise us now? And Lord, even when things are difficult and hard and we're hurting, we don't need to pretend about those things. But at the same time, you are always at work and we desperately need to see your work during those times. So would you help us to see what you're doing to anchor ourselves to your promises, to believe that you are real and that the joy you promise us is ours to have and then would you give it. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done and what you're gonna do. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.